Don't at me, but somehow Green Book the movie makes traveling in the Jim Crow South seem, I don't know, charming. Let's get into it right after the theme song. What's up, Donatters? The Farrelly brothers are two of the most iconic comedy filmmakers of all time. From Dumb and Dumber to Me, Myself, and Irene to There's Something About Mary, odds are you have seen a great deal of their work. One half of that duo, Peter Farrelly, has stepped out to create a film that's truly a departure from his comedy career. I'm, of course, talking about Green Book. Yeah. Some guy called over here, a doctor. He's looking for a driver. You interested? I am not a medical doctor. I'm a musician. I'm about to embark on a concert tour in the Deep South. What other experience do you have? Public relations. Do you foresee any issues in working for a black man? You and the Deep South? There's going to be problems. Today I am joined by Peter Fairley, director of Green Book, as well as the film's composer, who also happens to have created our theme song, Chris Bowers. Let's get into it. I'm really excited because I actually get to talk craft today and process uh, with the minds behind the new film Green Book, which is a great movie. It's coming out this Thanksgiving. Green Book follows Dr. Shirley in the 1960s. He is a world-class pianist uh, played by Mahershala Ali, and it follows the bond that he builds with his (laughs) racially presumptuous driver, played by Viggo Mortensen, as he performs through the Jim Crow South. I thought it had some immaculate filmmaking, and I thought what was so powerful about it is that we're seeing these two guys, you know, this Italian-American, 1960s kind of macho, machismo, East Coast kind of mentality, also being a fish out of water with this black man who really didn't have the experience of other black people in the country. He was he was sort of discovered as this virtuoso and kind of plucked out of everyday life. And the two of these very unlikely friends bond in probably the most racially divided part of the country. Where did the movie come from? That's always the question you got to start with. What you just said, I wish they could do a trailer that captured that because they haven't got one yet. That's that good. No, it's exactly right on the nose. I'm sorry, what was the question? Oh, I don't remember. Um, no, I just where does it come from? You know, I'll, 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 let me, oh, where's the story coming? Yeah, and I'll give you I'll give you one more preface because yeah. you know. Black filmmaker, black audience goer, you know, surprise. Uh, But every year I kind of roll my eyes because there's always that like awards movie about the Jim Crow South that's really about white people but pretends to kind of be somewhat about black people. And the black characters are sort of these undercooked, tragic but noble figures who are, you know, their one purpose for being in the movie is to show you how racism works. And then you walk out because the white person did something good and we all give it an Oscar yeah. and lots of money. And I kind of roll my eyes because we get this movie every year. Yeah. This is not that movie. Thank you. So I, I just got to hear more about its origin stories. Yeah, it was, uh, I bumped into a guy named uh, Brian Hayes Curry, who's one of the writers along with Nick Vallelonga and myself. And uh, just probably three years ago, and he's an actor too. I said, what are you up to? He said, I'm writing a screenplay about... My friend's father, it's a true story, happened in 1962 and described it sort of the way you did, not as well. And I thought, that's such a good story. Now, I'm going to switch here because, you know, while 
you know, I got Peter Fairley here to talk about the directing and the sh- and the show. You know, I got to look to my left at Mr. Chris Bowers, who is the <laughs> yes. film's composer. Did you know about? I have to assume that you knew about Don Shirley. I did not. So. I actually didn't. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The first time I heard about him was reading the script, and uh, yeah, I was pretty surprised, especially because I've never heard somebody combine jazz and classical music in the way that he did. There are a lot of other musicians from that era that did a similar thing and that were classically trained and tried to infuse their music with that but he was incredibly unique and so yeah yeah his music is odd i mean in a great way you sort of it sounds like it's classical it's jazz it's also a little pop Mm. but it just doesn't sound like anything i've heard before it it it, kind of lives in its own lane and it's remarkable that this musical figure who you know, really was a genius. Uh, no one really knows about him. <laughs> yeah, and he was making music for a while, which mm-hmm. is wild that, you know, it'd be different if he only had one album, but he has like a handful of albums. Yeah. And people people do know him. I meet people, older people. Uh, he wasn't known by everybody, but the cool mm. cats knew him. Cool They're like, cats oh, are you knew, kidding yeah. me? Don Shirley? Yeah, sure, I remember Don Shirley. Like he Duke Ellington knew him, Yeah, right? They became yeah. friends, I, I think I've read somewhere, when they finally found each other. I mean, in a lot of ways, this movie is about finding your people, right. and your tribe. And um, But, you know, what's curious about it is that it's a black man who is not only, um, I won't say he's upper class because he gets to the South and you see just how not upper class he is, but he certainly had an upper class sort of upbringing. Yeah. You know, bougie yeah. is what we'd call it today. You his, know, His parents were very uh, successful. He did, he did come from a well-to-do family in Pensacola, Florida, and uh, so he was educated. What that education was is now very, it's debatable because he called himself a doctor and he we know he did get some doctorates, at least honorary, mm-hmm. but it's hard to tell exactly what all the other stuff was. Mm. But he was extremely intelligent, spoke several languages. Right. Um, we believe he had been educated in Russia, but again, that's debatable. Though that's all that's on all his album covers. You know mm-hmm. that his backstory was that he had studied there for seven years, and we do know that he started. You know, he was like the youngest guy to play with the Boston Pops, and mm-hmm. you know, so mm-hmm. it's still you know he was a real interesting guy. There's different ways to do this. You could have shown us, uh, and you being the royal you, you and the the writers, the storytellers. You know, you could have given us the story. From Don's perspective, you could have. You, we, there were different ends. Why mm. was Tony Lip played by Viggo Mortensen, Italian American? You know, more of a, I guess, straight white perspective. Although I would, the Italian American perspective in the sixties is a little different than the typical American white perspective. Why, why do we get? Why do we meet Don from his point of view? That's a great question, by the way, and something we debated when we were yeah. writing it. We thought about going the other way, but and and you know, having Tony Lip come to him, but. We had the story from Tony Lip, and we had tons of audio tapes and the letters that mm-hmm. are in the movie. There were actually like 60-something letters. I thought there were 117 before last night. I was corrected. But this trip actually took place over a year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a true story, but we covered the first two months that stopped at Christmas. But we borrowed from the entire journey. Got it. Okay. Things that happened. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and we had his perspective, Tony Lip telling us this story, and to tell it the other way would have felt to us inauthentic because we really weren't in the head of Don Shirley. Mm, we did mm-hmm. have audio tapes of his that we found later from other people who had taped him while making a uh, documentary called uh, Lost Bohemia mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. the people who lived above Carnegie Hall. And in it, he's talking about this trip, by the way, and Tony Lip, it was fantastic. 
but we had way more audio tape of Tony Lip telling specific stories. We also had to write the dialogue that connected all these things because we didn't have that. So yeah. that's like people say, how true is it? Well, this stuff happened, but obviously we took a lot of license in mm -hmm. how we arranged it and told the story. You know, the great woke debate that's currently happening, and I think I would say filmmakers in my generation, we, we have to engage in it because the stories that we're telling are about, you know, typically characters uh, whether they're black or gay or whatever that you know typically don't get to be the protagonists in movies and the question when you come to something like this is okay we you know i think people feel like it's a, it's a choice it's like we want to show you know this otherworldly character from a more grounded white perspective so that audiences can can sort of understand them i interpreted it a bit differently for this film because i felt like don shirley is such a bizarre charismatic. I mean, the way you talk about him is so interesting. It, he cultivated his own mystery. I mean, yeah. this is a a celebrity mm -hmm. in every respect. It's a person who, when you meet him or see him, you're meant to go, "Oh my God, who is that? Mm -hmm. And why is he so fancy? And he why does on he a talk throne. like that?" Yeah, he yeah. he literally and, sits on a throne. Yeah. And so I thought it was to the movie's great advantage to meet him through Tony Lip because one, we get to meet him the way an average person would meet him and sort of be blown away by the little things about him. And then also because, you know, presumably like you're some white guys, you should tell the story from a point of view that you're comfortable with as opposed to sort of worry about getting it right you well, know also tony <laughs> lip's son nick valalonga was one of the writers and he so had that's so a much, nice connection so much information but by the way we did debate this we thought mm -hmm. wait a second are we telling it from the right side and ultimately this felt like the the natural organic way to tell it that's the side we had heard it from mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. to go the other way would have been you know more difficult and we would have had to you know make up more stuff Right. Yeah. And I and I I don't know. I think that's to the movie's advantage. Of course, like people go back and forth on this. Like I think they gave Coppola, who did uh The Beguiled. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. The Beguiled. Yeah. There was such a big controversy over cutting out the slave character, and her her sort of explanation was not received well. But I got it, because she was like, I don't know anything about that and I don't want to fuck it up. It was huh. more or less what she said. And I'm glad she didn't, because I've seen the other side where in a movie about the past, about black people, the white writer will try to write the black person so noble and mm -hmm. so tragically without any sense of humanity. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't do anything for me. You know what I mean? Like to yeah. feel like all of your white guilt coming through in this character. I didn't feel that at all through Dr. Shirley in this script because the minute we meet him, he is flawed. Mm -hmm. He is reading Tony the Riot Act. He doesn't mm -hmm. like his shoes. He doesn't like the way he talks. <laughs> he doesn't like the way he drives, mm -hmm. you know, and, and immediately is in Mahershala's, you know, hands is a fully formed person. How much of that was a part of the discussion with Mahershala or Onset or about the character, just making sure he comes off real? Yeah, well, he was, Mahershala had a huge input on everything in this script, as did Vigo. They both did. You know, I'm a collaborative guy, and I would, you know, we went line by line through everything, and Mahershala was, you know, he was always correcting me mm. and mm. us about things. And I'll give you the example I always give, but there were 10 of these, is uh, 
when uh, they finally make, uh, you know, become friends after the YMCA scene, when Doc Shirley oh, realizes that, so great. when he realizes that Tony Lip's a little more dimensional than he thought he was. Yeah. He thought he was a one note kind of like Dem D's and Dozer, but he's actually open minded about certain things. Mm-hmm. And they become friends, and they're having a drink in the lobby. And Doctor Shirley's explaining that he was trained to be to classical music, but the record company said nobody will accept a black man as a classical musician. Mm-hmm. So he went on to do the music he does, which is a more poppy kind of different thing. He's got like He's pop all, melodies in it. Yeah, he yeah. arranged. He you know something he really created American himself. Songbook stuff. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And at that point, uh, you know, uh, Tony he said he was trained to do this, and Tony Lips says, "What do you mean trained?" He goes, "What are you a seal? Anybody could be trained." He goes, "But what you do, <laughs> what you do, nobody could do." Uh-huh. And personally, I like it better. Yeah. And Doc Shirley at that point had said, "Well, thanks, Tony," and that was the end of the scene. But. Mahershala read it said, no, what do you think I'm going to do? Because Tony Lip likes what I do, I'm going to just say, hey, it's a good That's... thing I didn't do my classical music. <laughs> yeah. Because this is bullshit. I, I would never. I would say. And so I said, great, perfect. So what do you say? So he says, well, thank you, Tony. He says, but um, not everybody can play Chopin. I, that not, line. Not the way not I the can. Way I, that line yeah. was brilliant. Also, there's a scene between the two characters in the rain where Mahershala hit me where I live. When, and I don't, I'm going to butcher yeah. the line. And it's much better in the film, but it's, it, you know, it's something to the effect of like, well, I'm too black for these people. Yeah. You know, referring to the racist white cops and the people that hire him. But I'm not black enough for these people. And this is like, you know, this is the black everyman, the, the folks who are jamming on Little Richard and like, you know, into quote unquote black music. And he says, so where do I belong? And it is just this beautiful moment that I have felt so many times in my life that so many of my characters have felt. It's always great for me as a black queer man to find out about other, you know, black men who did not live a traditional, quote unquote, black male life to connect with. Because these figures are usually, you know, hidden from us, sadly. Yeah, yeah exa- um, that's exactly right. Like, they've, they've always been there. Yeah. But they, you couldn't admit who you were, mm-hmm. and so it was hard to be who he was. In fact, to to his death, he never really came out, right? And had been married, as many mm-hmm. gay men back then did. You know, and just, some yeah. today. Yeah, I didn't want to. You know, I did, I, I was yeah. kind of tiptoeing around it because the reveal of his sexuality is is quite great in the film, and and that's all I'll say on it. I'll switch a page back to you, Chris. You know, speaking of a black man doing classical and pop music. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, talk to me a little bit about when you got invited to the party in terms of doing the music for it. How much of it is Don? How much of it is you? How much did did encountering Don's life affect you as a musician? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, um, you know, first of all, like the scene you're talking about, I feel like I've, I've, I mean, a lot of us have, but I've had those conversations myself. And so mm-hmm. even like when I first got called to come in for it, they sent me the script and I was reading through it and there were so many things where I've had conversations with like white people that are telling me I'm not as black as they are because they listen to, you know, popular music. And especially mm. when I was younger, when I was in high school, I only listened to like jazz and classical music. I didn't wow. really listen to anything that was like current or anything Nerd. like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, as far as like the music in the film, whenever Don Shirley's playing piano, that's all the original stuff. And we mm-hmm. had to like go back and transcribe the original recordings because mm. there's no sheet music for any of that stuff wow. and re-record all of it so that we can have... The idea was to try to make it a little bit more... I guess palatable for a mm. modern day audience, but still respect the 
musicianship that he had because we didn't want to dumb down what he was doing just so that people today could like listen to it and get it and so with that we just got a little bit more creative with how he mixed it and making it sound like it was a um like a a present day recording but Mm. still all of the notes and and even uh like all of the parts the arrangements all of those are are the original don shirley things that sometimes we kind of arrange to make it make more sense within the context of the film like Mm -hmm. shortening something or something like that but other than that all of that music is all his and then the score is all inspired by that in different ways okay the score is you can't underestimate what that score does for this movie because i've seen it without that score Mm -hmm. and it when he laid the score in and i i know what i'm good at and i know what i'm not good at like i don't tell wardrobe what to get (laughs) you know i i i tell i tell them you know that's you know betsy hyman i said just do your thing because she's great and she comes up with all those things and i didn't know what this score should be but I trusted him, and I just said, "Just go do something." And he played, came back, and I just remember getting the first tingle up my back, mm, like, mm-hmm. "Oh wow, this is this movie!" All of a sudden, it popped for me the entire movie when you laid the score in. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> I, yeah. I have had that experience with Chris Bowers as well. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's a genius. It's fine. Yeah, nobody else hire him. I want him forever. Um, <laughs> how, what was he doing? You know, you talk about not wanting to change up what he was doing to dumb it down. So, what makes his music? you know, so brilliant for yeah. the layman. You yeah. Know, like I mean, me. w- one of the first things that I heard is, um, I'm trying to think of a simple way to, to describe it, but one of the first pieces I've heard of his was his version of Lullaby of Birdland, which is a yeah. uh, popular American songbook song that a jazz standard that I've played a million times. And he does this piano intro that first starts off quoting, I think some, some uh, Debussy piece. He starts playing the melody, but then it becomes like a fugue, this Bach fugue, which, which is, you know, a style of writing or a style of of song, but for him, he was improvising this stuff. Mm. He was improvising these these classical forms, which is like incredibly difficult to do. And he was doing things where he was improvising with both hands at the same time, playing totally different ideas in each hand. Wow. And like everything that he was playing was incredibly pianistic and, and virtuosic, but on a classical level. I feel like there are a lot of pianists, jazz pianists, like of course like Art Tatum or Oscar Peterson that are playing, but it's all jazz vocabulary and it's mm-hmm. incredibly pianistic and, and their dexterity is amazing, but it's all jazz vocabulary. And for, for Don, it's, um, it's all classical stuff. It still sounds classical, even though he's playing this jazz stuff, which is pretty incredible. Okay, we need to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. On the newest episode of Nocturne, KCRW's podcast about the night. Can you hear that? Can you hear the hum? I woke her up and I said to the wife, can you hear this noise? And she's like, what noise? And she couldn't hear it. It's like a truck engine idling. And when you open the door to see that truck, it's not there. All over the world, people are kept awake by a low-frequency sound with no explanation. That's on the latest Nocturne, wherever you listen to podcasts. Is 
the movie is named after the Green Book, which was a guide for black people traveling the Jim Crow South, telling you what hotels you could stay at um, and, and places that were friendly to the quote unquote American Negro. Yeah. What was that title always there? Did that come out through no, some process we, of the storytelling? Yeah, it just came through the story. Actually, we would listen over and over to Tony Lips telling of the story mm -hmm. just for little details and actual lines right out of there, you know, take things right out of it. But Probably the third or fourth time I was going through it, he said, yeah, and then they, you know, the record company had given us the book where the blacks could stay, so we did that. I said, well, 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 back that up. What's he saying? He goes, the record company gave us the book where the blacks could stay. I was like, well, what is that? And we Googled it, and up came the, the Negro Green Book. Motorist yeah. Green Book. Wow. And, and we were like, what the hell is this? And by the way, I had never heard of it. I couldn't find a white human being who had heard of it, uh -huh. and I and I would say ninety percent of my black friends hadn't heard of it. I knew of it. I didn't. I don't know that I knew that it was called the Green yeah. Book. In the last three years, it's kind of gotten into the zeitgeist. Yeah. It's one of those hmm. things, and it's not necessarily because of this movie. I was just Googling. This is why people know. It's because yeah. of Lovecraft that people know about it. Lovecraft, which is a horror film. Uh -huh. Well, it's a horror book, actually, that sort of takes Lovecraftian yeah. uh, horror elements but applies them to the Jim Crow South. And they, there's <laughs> a book of monsters in that. And I think and that has hit a popular culture. I think they're they're adapting it at HBO with Misha Green. So many of these things, like I was saying before, were, are, are chronically uncovered in this country. And it's so cool to to find out about them in such a well-made movie i mean i think people are going to continue to ask you about this and i'll try not to be annoying about it oh. but you know it's a departure i think in yeah. the minds of folks because with your brother you made some of the biggest comedy movies of all time and out comes this very human tender small kind of americana story mm. what do you know as a filmmaker like what's your first like step when you're starting to do your job as to, like, how do I tell this story? Like, what do you do first? Well, like any story, the first thing, if it was a comedy or this, the first thing we always do is we work on who's the character, who mm -hmm. are these people, what's their problem, and why do we care about them? That's the first thing we do. It's like, honestly, any comedy, I think, who's the guy, and what is it about him that we like enough that we can hang all those jokes on him? That's mm -hmm. how we start a comedy. Mm -hmm. This one, I had real characters, so it was really doing, like making sure I got it right. But it, it wasn't, this wasn't a conscious effort to, you know, do something that's a departure from me. Yeah. This was just, I heard the story, it was three years ago. It was before the current shitstorm we're in now, by yeah, the way. Yeah, sure. I don't know what you're referring to, but, no. uh, you know. I just loved it. And I and I thought, this is a great story for today. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to do it, but it, it didn't feel like a departure. It just felt like the next thing for me. I knew it was a departure, but I didn't, I wasn't making it because of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like filmmakers, you know, especially, you know, where I'm at in my stage, you're always, oh, can they do comedy? And oh, can they do drama? But I think when you actually are doing it, the thing that you know is that it doesn't matter. I mean, it, it's sort of the comedy or the drama is is what comes out when you just treat the text properly. <laughs> like, it's not a, you know, there are certainly people who are better fits for different genres, but, you know, to me it made sense. Like, I saw, I well, was like, I, oh, I, I get why you do this next. Well, I know? would see, like, okay, I hate to, I don't want to, you know, blow your horn, but mm. Dear White People, that had both. Yeah. That was very funny, and it had a very serious, you know, under belly yeah 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 and i was giggling at that at, uh, a lot <laughs> good <laughs> when i started i was a novelist actually i wrote a couple novels before i got into screenwriting 
and if you saw my earlier work, it, it, it's not that far from this, mm, I will say. Mm, okay, that's that's really interesting. And now, Chris, like the stuff that you'll turn in for Dear White People always blows me away. And I and I just wonder, like, what, how does it start for you? Do you, you know, watch the scene a bunch of times? Like, what's your blank page? Where are you starting from? For me, I'd, I wanted to start by just watching the film a bunch of times and, like, trying to feel it and and find the point that felt for me like the easiest entry point for the film and uh, for me it's a scene where where uh don shirley and and tony lip are their car they have some car trouble and they have to stop and then they get out of the car and and don shirley sees these field workers working and uh just mahershala's performance in that moment is so like heartbreaking actually and and uh so i really chose that section to start and as i was thinking about how to approach the score for this film and you know we, peter and i talked about making it very different from the don shirley music and making sure that mm. the two things didn't sound uh, they sounded very different but at the same time could exist in the same mm. world mm. and so one of the things that I ended up re-stumbling upon and being inspired by was this story that i learned in college about dvorak and he he was brought to america to give lessons at these conservatories, these teachers asked if he could teach these American students how to properly compose in the European style, how to properly use the orchestra in that mm, way. Mm -hmm. And the longer he spent here, the more he started to tell them, you really should be listening to the poor people of this country and the mm, music that they're making. Mm -hmm. And he was saying that, you know, for them, people like Dvorak or even Stravinsky, they were using folk melodies for all of their music or for a lot of their music, a lot of their symphonies and ballets are all uh, like folk melodies that they've reinterpreted. And so um, I just started looking at a lot of like early folk music, Negro spirituals, a lot of like like slave songs or like hymns and things like that, especially because Don Shirley, a lot of his music is also heavily inspired by, mm -hmm. by Negro spirituals and hymns and things like that. And funny enough, if you look at early blues music, country music, folk music, it's all pretty similar actually yeah. as far as like the melodies and like, and it's probably just because the people are coming from similar places and, and all of that. So I just started studying the way that those melodies are, are structured and just started writing themes and ideas that could, if I wanted to, have them exist just as like a simple like piano melody or a piano piece and to sound like it was like a folk song or a spiritual or something like that. And then I decided to orchestrate it in a way that would be inspired by a lot of the music of that Don himself was inspired by. So like composers like Ravel or Gershwin or Debussy mm -hmm, and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And so having this more... The more modern American exactly, yeah. classical composer. So yeah. what you're saying is not not a lot of thought went into yeah, it. Yeah, he just <laughs> kind of came up with some yeah, stuff. Yeah, That's what I heard too. Ten minutes. Yeah. yeah, no, it just sounded like he just put some, some crap together. No, it's, I mean, it's great, Chris, right? It's really good. Now, the, the thing that... I mean, people are going to be talking about a lot of things about the movie, but I think the performances are one of the standouts. I mean, Vigo and Mahershala are yeah. so good together i mean it's you're seeing these two guys fall in a kind of platonic love i mean it's like it's a kiss away from being the bodyguard and yeah. it's so it's so delightful to see this you know scrappy dude from you know the bronx you know getting along with don Shirley, you know yeah. elegant yeah. soft-spoken don shirley to see him soften opens my heart. Oh my God. It's when, so heartwarming. See, you know, my hardest part of making the movie, the scene that was most disturbing for me was dropping the glasses in the trash. Uh. And by the way, I, I kind of laugh at this now, but the first screening we did, I remember thinking every black person is about to get up and leave as oh, soon as sure. this happens. I, I just had this fear 
He'd drop it in. People say, oh, fuck this. I'm out of here. Why, why do I have to watch this? Yeah. You know, I, I always th- expect like half the audience to get up. And then afterwards, you know, they didn't get up. And afterwards, actually, we had a little Q&A and I asked, you know, I said, hey, uh, you know, when, when that those glasses went into the trash, I asked the black audience members, what would you think? And they said, I was happy because mm-hmm. it's the truth. Because mm-hmm. it's the truth. Sure. Yeah. How do you decide what of Tony's racism to show because i mean the thing that i thought was so interesting about it is that tony lips racism is it's it's like a social racism i mm-hmm. mean it's he doesn't really even need to over he doesn't go through this journey to not be racist on the other side although i do feel like that happened but it's like the minute he meets don all of that seems to go away and that's a very I, I love that about the film because that is kind of how racism actually works you know people don't tend to sit around you know, people do, of course, as we know, some of them are in the White House, but most people don't sit around sort of like rubbing their hands together thinking, how can I torture black people? Like they don't, they don't obsess over that aspect of themselves. It just right. is, yeah. you know. How, so how did you guys make that decision? Um, what goes in and what well, goes out? it was easy to do because in his audio tapes, he was that way. Mm-hmm. And yet he was also a beautiful, loving guy. Yes. It was really mm-hmm. interesting. Like he would drop N-bombs, but he wouldn't say that N-bomb. Mm-hmm. He would say... He we would walked, use it the way... We would walk into a room and I could see all the people look at him and they didn't like N-bombs. He would say it that oh way. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Highly problematic yes. person. I love yeah. it. No. So it's a complicated guy. Yeah. And also, like, I saw it as like a... It was a northern racism. And that's yeah. how people were. It is a northern it racism. It was a northern racism yeah. where, you know, you had this kind of way of looking, but it wasn't a systemic racism like yeah. in the South. It wasn't like... It wasn't the I law. don't want them to live. It's just I would rather they not drink from my glass. Well, there weren't which laws is still about it. Up. Like in the South, you, yeah. there were laws. You can't drink a, a, that thing, yes. and you can't try on a suit. Yes, you know because if you don't buy it, no one else is going to want to wear it. That's right. their thinking. Right mm-hmm. now, you you as a director, you know, you got Vigo Mortensen on your right, you got Mahershala Ali on your left. Like, what's your role on that set? What is your responsibility to the act? Well, I I usually stay home, drink, yeah, come in I at the would. end of the day, <laughs> yeah, that's what and I do. See too. what they did, yeah. Um, no, no it. Um, uh, <laughs> normally, this is what I think of when I have a script. You're hoping that the actors can bring it to the level that you believe that script can be. Yes, and if mm-hmm. you have good actors, they can do that. But if you have great actors like these guys it's way better like this movie is so much better than on the page and it was good on the page yeah it was people love this script you know but their performances are so nuanced and it's the reactions Mm -hmm. and it's the it's what what uh mahershala ali does without doing anything it's all an inner show he's incredible it's unbelievable what he does with just the slightest little head nut turn hmm. he doesn't have he has his moments here and there but he it's mostly an inner performance where everything he's doing is playing off vigo's big performance right. and it's these tiny little things that are making it hilarious because yes. on page on the paper oh, you know so it wasn't shady. that funny but you're giggling at his reaction like, oh my uh, Mahershala in this is the king of shade and reading. I mean, all the gay terms. Like, he is so fierce in the movie. I think what's really hard about when a straight guy plays, plays you know, gay is that gay men, we have different, mod- we have modulations of our gay expression genes. Just to say it in a very technical way. You know, like, Did you we, make that up or is that... A, there is an actual gene that is separate from your actual sexuality. Oh, yeah. 
to do with your expression? No, I didn't. I didn't mean the Isn't gene. This crazy? I mean the actual that expression. Oh, what did what did I even say? <laughs> I don't or even know. Oh, modulate yeah. our gay genes. Yes, yeah. uh, that, but you know, it's a survival technique. But also, just naturally, like some gay guys don't present. You know, it's not it's not a yeah. it's a, it's not a monolith, but. It's very tricky to get that right because mm -hmm. Don Shirley was he was just kind of on that line where you're like, oh, is he fancy? Is he foreign? Is he a dandy of some kind? Is he gay? Like you're not quite sure. And Mahershala walks it with such humanity and such subtlety. It was it's really and Vigo, of course, too, who is embodying a very different kind of persona. But I just the character that Mahershala was playing is just so rare in cinema. Yeah. Mm. And and he just really knocked it out of the park. Now, Chris, you know, I, I, I touched on this a little bit, but just Don Shirley as a, as a person, like, how are you? Do you feel like you are a different composer because of this experience on this movie? How did this process change you? Yeah, absolutely. I think it it's kind of um, encouraged me to be even more demonstrative about my influences mm. you know I think that like and I guess in an unafraid way you know I think that like whenever I'm making my own music I'm always trying to figure out how to combine all these things that I'm really into and what things do I kind of you know lean on a little bit more and a lot of that has to do with what I think other people might be into and what other people might like and and um yeah listening to his music and working on it really just inspired me to not really care what anybody else thinks about the music that I'm doing and just kind of combine the things that I want to Did combine really? in the way that I want yeah wow. yeah for wow. sure what what uh what kinds of things would normally scare you I'm just curious about, uh, like, what, I, I guess know. just because like one of the things is that people aren't ready for this jazz blues <laughs> combo I'm doing like what is the, what's, what's like what's you? like uh you know combining a lot of the classical influences for example and like being fearful that my music is then not black enough you know or mm -hmm. doesn't like feel like it has that soul enough or like adding some things that you know are a little bit more typical in like black music and then feeling like the other people might not feel like it's you know impressive enough or like or like Pian pianistic enough you know all these right. different things that like I was trying to make sure that I was impressing everybody making sure that like the people that are going to look at it for for theoretical reasons would be impressed and the people that are just going to like bump it in their car are going to be impressed and right, right. I just kind of just want to make the music that I want to make and well, see who likes it yeah. well good for you, you know, one thing we haven't <laughs> like about it. is him actually playing we haven't talked too much about this him playing in the in the movie for sure well, which I'm going to let y'all talk about that. <laughs> no, which is, which is great. <laughs> I'm not giving away no, sec no movie secrets no, now. No, I'm a part of the, the guild now. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. You, you don't want to, you know, uh, you know, magicians don't come out before the show right. and explain the tricks they're going to do. So, right. But I, I have to say... Like there, when he does that Chopin in that mm. in that in the bar, you know, <laughs> yeah. it is like we have like you know I don't know how many extras there. What would you say? A hundred? I'd say a thousand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and and um, these people, everybody was like, "Oh my god!" It was a trip just wow. sitting there watching him play everywhere we went. You know, and again. Mahershala did, they did work together. Mahershala, you know, he did start and do some stuff and he learned a lot. But obviously, when you got down to the meat and potatoes, Tickling the ivories, the real stuff, you bring then, Chris you know, Powers. You Chris. And it was, it was just like a, you know, it, it was just such a great moment when you could bring him in and just, you know, you've been working your butt well, off all day. I and mean, like, the, the, the piano playing in particular is pretty exciting. I mean, that, that sounds so crazy to say, but the fingers. To play these pieces are, I mean, you're, I, I, 
I don't even know how you do that. Like, forget actually just hitting the correct keys, just moving your fingers in that <laughs> rhythm. <laughs> Coordinated. No mistakes. Like, yeah. there was never, I don't ever remember one take where he's like halfway through, oh, shoot, shit, fuck that. Let me start over. That never happened. It yeah. was always like, you look at us like, it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it was just crazy. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I just want to talk about Mahershala's, um, playing piano and, and how when we worked we did a few months of lessons together and it was just incredible to watch how how dedicated he was to try to do that to mm -hmm. the best of his ability and like our first lesson we were supposed to spend an hour together and I figured we'd just play like a major scale and he spent mm. three hours playing this one scale over and over again and I would have to like physically stop him to like because mm. I would like say oh you know you, or we can move on and he would just keep playing it he over and over right. again and um and that's just how he was like on set and you know he was just incredibly driven and dedicated to like to represent a pianist in the right way and and it really shows in the film i think that like i've watched so many movies where you see somebody that is playing piano that even just the way they sit at the piano i'm like oh that's he's not, not right. a pianist yeah. yeah and and yeah he does an incredible that's job that's not, not that. pianistic enough like, that wasn't <laughs> luck he really thought about those things yeah. that's why yeah. he's mahershal ali yeah, yeah. <laughs> seriously he yeah. said look pete and he talks about this. he says if i'm in the subway and i see a, a dancer walk by i could tell she's a dancer by the way she walks. And I want somebody to look mm. at me and know the way That's I sit pianist, at that piano, yeah. I'm a pianist. It is mm -hmm. pianistic, <laughs> yes, frankly. Yes. Yeah. So I have a thing called Culture Community. It's a group on Facebook. If you are following me on Facebook, you can join. But it's a it's a lot of up-and-coming creatives, and I, I sometimes will give them a slot to ask a question. This is right. one that's coming from Travis Baker. He says, I'd love to hear a discussion over films depicting racism of the past versus racism of the present. Driving Miss Daisy versus Do the Right Thing. Do such films of the past paint a narrative that such issues are behind us, or is it possible for them to remind us of the issues facing us in the present? Peter? Uh, well, first of all, <laughs> I, I don't pretend to be an expert on all things race, yeah. but you know, I'm Which I not, appreciate, not a historian <laughs> uh, on filmic racism either. I wish, by mm. the way, I wish that I played this movie and when it ended, people said, oh my God, mm. really? It was like that back there then? There was racism at a You're certain point You're kidding me. In time? And that's only 50 years ago and there was racism. Yeah, they had it back in the 60s. <laughs> I, that, that reaction would be amazing that would be if my, such a thing were possible. That would be my dream, but it's not that way. In yeah. fact, people, you know, they see it as a a reminder of what's happening today. And it's also a, 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 a but the thing that they're drawn to is that today we're going apart. Mm -hmm. We're really going apart. We're, you know, nothing goes like, you know, uh, improvement doesn't go like straight up the yeah, chart. It's not it a goes line. like this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It goes up and down. And there are improvements and then there's downturns. We're in a downturn. And people are recognizing it. But the worst part is that it's people are growing apart. And this movie is about a guy, two guys who couldn't be more different. You have a racist bouncer. Italian-American bouncer with a sixth-grade education who yeah. I always say didn't pay much attention after third grade. Yeah. <laughs> and you have a, 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 a black concert pianist with several doc doctorates who speaks many languages and is a total sophisticate. Mm -hmm. And yet, by the end of this trip of being in a car together for this couple months, they grow closer together and they realize they have a lot in common. Yeah. And that's what I'm hoping people get out of it, not that... Certainly not that those days are gone. Those right. days aren't gone. Right. Mm -hmm. But what can happen is what happened in that thing if we open to each other. There are sure. walls. Everybody has more yeah. walls up. And Well, that's and, what I loved yeah. about it is it showed you 
if nothing else, that it's just possible. I mean, I think that when you get to see yourself in someone that doesn't look like you, mm-hmm. it, it it really is in the real world and in this film, it is a kind of experience that almost feels like a miracle. That's one reason people are, people are so surprised. Because when you go into a movie that's quote unquote about race, mm-hmm. you're expecting to have to have go through a painful journey. And it is a painful journey, but you come out of it feeling good. Oh yeah, it's really it's really warm and fuzzy. <laughs> I mean, because I also don't think the. I'll just say I don't think the movie's about race. I think it's about these two men. Yeah. It's about it's about seeing yourself in somebody that you don't think you'd ever see yourself in. I mean, mm. that's really what it's about. It it's in the backdrop of race. But I'll tell you a couple of things that you know. Movies like this usually make black people roll their eyes. That your movie does not do. The black character in it has a sense of agency. He Mm -hmm. hires Tony. He calls for Tony. He sends for Tony. And the choices that he makes are not because Tony saves him or, you know, I mean, he physically saves his life a few times. That's what he's hired to do. Yeah, but he's, you know, the moves that, like, we're on this tour because Dr. Shirley said, you know what? They don't think a black guy can do all this stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, you know, so he actually is pushing the narrative. The other thing that I felt like, you know, these movies do that this movie didn't do was that there isn't a, it isn't a movie about a black person getting saved when whiteness happens. Like it is not about that. It is, it is these two people in a scenario that, yeah, he hired this guy to physically protect him. But, you know, Don was Don before Tony Lip, and he's Don after. And I, I just really appreciated that. Well, this was, I love conversations with fellow creatives. Thank you so much, Peter Fairley, Thank for you. being here to talk about your movie, Green Book. Thank you, Chris Bowers, Thank to be here to talk about being the composer for Green Book. And, uh, you know, hopefully you'll come back and talk to me about something else. But this has been a real pleasure. Better Thank ball. you so much. Thanks, yeah. Justin. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for having us. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Okay, I got to thank my amazing guests, Peter Fairley and Chris Bowers, for sitting down with me today. Also want to thank our producers, Gina Delvac and Kara Hart, our production engineers, Daniel Balastocki and Chuck Prevateri. Special thanks to Vishnu Vallabhanani, head of programming, Quinn O'Toole. Chris Bowers was our guest, and he created our theme song, What Can't He Do? This is Don't At Me with Justin Simeon. If you like the show, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave us a review. Despite the name of the show, I actually want to hear from you. We'll be back next week in another episode of Don't At Me from the one and only KCRW will be here too.